As we stand, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open up your word to us this morning. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to receive, and the will to be and to do what you're calling us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you sitting comfortably? I hope not. (laughs) At least in this sense. There is a lot to be uncomfortable about in our world, in our lives, and even in our church. I won't give you a litany of examples. I'm sure you can think of plenty on your own. But just in case you think the preacher's job is to make you comfortable... I beg to differ. C.S. Lewis once said, I haven't always been a Christian. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. (laughs) If you want a religion to make you really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. So by now, those of you who were sitting comfortably probably aren't. Good. Let's get into the texts that are before us this morning. First, listen to the cry from the prophet Isaiah, a cry that is anything but comforting. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. It's a cry of desperation. If only. I wonder how often have you begun a sentence Or a prayer with those two words. If only. If only my child wasn't sick. If only my boss had treated me fairly. If only that person had not betrayed me. If only God would do something. I think many people look at their personal situation or the world around them and they are truly baffled by all that has gone wrong. We watch the nightly news and see fighting and hatred, selfishness and crime. Why doesn't God do something to stop the evil and the oppression, the violence and the hunger? If only he would rescue his people rather than, as it sometimes appears, doing nothing. But as we read on in this passage from Isaiah, I'm afraid it gets worse before it gets better. For actually the cry of, if only you would do something, can properly be interpreted as, if only you had done something. Isaiah has been looking back on a pretty tragic past, which could have been so different. But while all might have been different, had God God come down and shaken the earth, Had the people of Israel done what God asked of them? Because, of course, instead they rebelled and moaned and ignored God. And so God became angry, very angry. And I'm sorry if you don't like that. If God being angry doesn't fit your image of him. But it's one that we cannot avoid or ignore if we are to put our hope in the God of the Bible. 
In verse 5 we heard, But you were angry and we sinned. And the prophet describes their sin. They were unclean. The cry of the leper. A metaphor perhaps of personal unfitness for the fellowship of God and the worshipping community. I wonder, does anyone here feel unclean? Unfit to stand before God or those around you? Next we hear, all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth, which again is hardly comforting. And then there's the final image of a fading leaf, a a, a picture of decay and death. Disinteresting God leads to complete alienation and separation from God. It's a seriously bleak picture of what flows from the people's selfishness and sinfulness. But, thank God, it doesn't end there. If you have felt any of the descriptions we've just heard apply to you, don't despair, for there is hope. We started with the plaintive cry, if only. But this section from Isaiah ends with a cry of hope. But now. While God is unchanging in his holiness, and that which he requires of his people, to be faithful, to trust, to obey. He is also unchanging in his love and in his mercy. After the grim admissions of sin and shame and guilt, we then hear the final petition to God our Father. And with it, a reminder that they are God's people. This is not a prophecy about an uncaring, distant, angry God, but rather a God who, though angry, is near and who cares deeply, passionately, as a loving father cares about his child. There is a relationship here. And in the face of destruction, sinfulness, and misery, there is hope. And this is the message of Advent. Hope in the face of despair. Hope in the midst of longing. Hope that enables us to press on towards the goal of following Christ and being found more like Christ in all we think and do and say until that day when he comes again. Now, if we fast forward to the time of our gospel reading, we encounter another picture of gloom and despair. By the way, if, in case you thought that now Thanksgiving is over, it's all about getting ready for Christmas, it's actually not, at least not in the church calendar not at the start of this new church year. For we begin by telling the story again. And while soon, very soon, we will tell the nativity story. Not yet. Not today. Today, we actually learn first how the story ends, which is not as backwards as you might think, for it gives us a context and real hope. Advent is very countercultural. While the rest of the world is happy to eggnog its way to Christmas to the tunes of Frosty the Snowman and Winter Wonderland, the church may seem a strange place to be in Advent. I mean, just look at these words from Mark's Gospel. It's an 
apocalyptic vision of the end of the world. What a picture. There's not a reindeer in sight. And it's preceded by a description of a world in terrible suffering. As Mark's gospel begins, chapter 13. A fury of wars unleashed, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines. And Jesus says, for in those days there will be suffering such as has not been from the beginning of creation. And so for today, the Advent text is the end of the world as we know it. The sun and the moon go dark and the stars fall from heaven. Then Jesus comes in the clouds with great power and sends his angels to gather the elect from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Advent begins by showing us the end. And Jesus says, beware, keep alert, keep awake, watch. We know how it ends, but we don't know when. We don't know the day or the hour. It could happen any time. It could happen today. It could happen at any hour, any moment, in the day, in the night, in the morning. The church year, the first Sunday of Advent, begins with a call to be alert. And it's an urgent call. You know, when worlds come to an end, things that were so terribly important quickly lose all interest. Someone once said that when the dam breaks and the floodwaters are racing toward your house, it's the rubber raft in the attic, not the Rembrandt on the wall, which will have the most value. The gift of Advent is this apocalyptic picture of the end. Knowing the end helps us to let go of clinging on to a world that is fading. It helps us not to put our trust in a world that cannot save us or rescue us. And yet, how easy it can be for us to kind of drift and sleep our way towards the end rather than being awake and vigilant. Two weeks ago, some of you may have read in the the news, Joseph, known as Chip Scouron, was sent to prison for five years. He's not your ordinary criminal. Scouron is a Yale-educated doctor who made the transition to Wall Street as a hedge fund manager of healthcare stocks. And he lived well. His Connecticut home was worth about $7 million. He drove a rather nice Aston Martin. Just confess that sin of covetousness there. <laughs> but he got caught. And, and you've heard it all before, insider trading. And Scaron's family and friends packed the courtroom and many wept through the proceedings as the judge told him that his criminal actions caused investors to lose money and many to lose their jobs. In court, Scaron said this, I slipped into a world of relativism, where the ends were justifying the means. I wonder how many of us do the same. Maybe not on that scale, but we lose our way. We forget who we are. We grow stale and dull in the face of human need and think almost only of ourselves. We may deceive others, but most of all, we deceive ourselves. That, dear friends, is why we need Advent. It calls us back to where we need so desperately to be called. Beware. Keep awake. 
Keep alert. Watch. Our lives fade like a leaf. Our righteousness is like a filthy cloth. Advent reminds us that we're to be fully aware and awake to how easily we fall and we fail. Well, in in our Isaiah reading, once the prophet devastates his listeners with their self-righteousness and their self-confidence, he ends with such marvelous hope. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. That's what Advent brings to us. When we've lost all hope and confidence that we can fix ourselves and make our lives work, then we give ourselves over to God. If our lives are to be anything at all, it will be because we are willing to be clay. People shaped by a potter who works us and molds us and makes us into something beautiful for God. By the way, Chip Scouron, in the midst of all his pain and the pain he inflicted on others, spoke at his trial, and he spoke of an incredible blessing in the midst of his world that fell apart. He said that he'd turned his life over to Christ. This morning, I want to call you once again this year to keep a holy advent. And there are three specific things that I'm asking you to do. First, wait. Most of us, I suspect, don't find waiting easy. Whether it's waiting for a test result from your doctor, or for a response to a job application, or for the birth of a baby... But Advent is all about waiting. The prophet Isaiah remembers an important truth that he has seen fulfilled time and time again. Verse 4, from ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. These are powerful words. God works For those who wait for him. Oh, how foolishly impatient we so often are. I wonder, what are you waiting for? Our hope as Christians, though, is not based on wishful thinking. For we have a sure and certain hope based on all that we know and can see of God's working in our world and in our lives. In all of our waiting, we need to remember what God has already done. And of course, supremely, he's given himself to us. We will soon be celebrating Christ's birth. And as we wait, we must keep our hearts and minds focused on Christ. Jesus, who was there in the beginning. Jesus, who became flesh and was born in history. Jesus, who will come again. So we need to keep awake by waiting, not in frustration, but with purpose and with hope, knowing that we are waiting for God, God who will never let us down and who one day will come again to make all things right.
The second way I'm asking that you observe a holy advent is to watch. God never calls us just to sit back and and passively let the world go by while we wait for his coming again. Watching requires our undivided and active attention. Jesus said, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put forth its leaves, you know the summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you will know that he is near. Now, I don't know much about fig trees, but I do know, now the leaves have fallen off our trees, that winter is just around the corner. doesn't feel like it today on this balmy weekend. But Jesus is concerned for us to be ready not for winter storms, but for something much more significant. He wants us to be ready for his coming again. No one knows when Christ will come again. Verse 32, Jesus said, No one knows about that day or even hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, there are all kinds of teachings out there about the end times, much of which, frankly, is unhelpful at best and damaging at worst. No one should ever use the Bible as a sort of horoscope to construct a precise timeline for future events and the return of Christ. We would do well to pay little attention to those who think they can predict when Christ will come again. They cannot. But we do need to pay great attention to what Jesus has to say about it. And he says... Be on guard, be alert, pay attention. To what or to whom are you devoting your attention? What do you see around you? In the world, in your life, your relationships, your neighbors, here in our church family? I believe that part of keeping watch as we wait for Christ to return is about being able to see things as God sees them. Now, of course, that's easier said than done. But God does promise to give us wisdom if we will ask for it and has promised to give us his Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth. We don't know when the Lord will return. But when he does, what will he find you doing? Will you be waiting patiently, expectantly? Will you be watching and seeing as God sees? My third and final Advent challenge this morning is simply this. Work. When Jesus comes again, will he find you working? There was a bumper sticker out there once that read, Jesus is coming, look busy. I don't think looking busy is quite what Jesus has in mind. But when Jesus went back to heaven at the end of his earthly life, he did so only after he gave his disciples a very specific job to do. They were to go out into all the world, proclaiming the good news of Jesus and to make disciples. That was the great commission that Jesus gave them. And it is the great commission he has given to us to proclaim Christ when he comes again will he find us proclaiming in words and actions his love his hope his forgiveness his reconciliation will he find you demonstrating 
those things in your life? Or will we be too busy talking about doing these things? Too busy doing church work? Too busy raising a family? Too busy earning a living? Too busy to wait and watch and work for Jesus? What are you doing while the master is away? For until he comes again, Jesus has entrusted you with the work of his kingdom. Thankfully, he has not abandoned us to the work he's called us to without help. For he has given his spirit to help us. And God himself is at work in our midst and will be. God is faithful. And as Isaiah reminded us, God works for those who wait for him. Now, we may find that waiting hard, but if we are waiting for God, we will not be disappointed. There'll be no shortage of things over the coming weeks to tempt you from keeping a holy advent, be it greed or extravagance, be it frenetic activity, or whatever else may distract you. But I want to invite you to join me in embarking on a kind of spiritual pilgrimage toward Christmas by keeping a holy advent. You don't have to go anywhere, and I'm not asking you to do more. Actually, I'm suggesting you do less. Take time to stop and pray so that you may wait and watch and work for Jesus. One way you you might do that is to use the Advent devotional produced by our friends at Trinity School for Ministry. I meant to wave one at you, but anyway, they're at the back. Some of you have taken them. Do take one today. I commend them to you. But no matter what your circumstances, no matter how hard it gets, wait, watch, and work so that you may be ready for Christ's coming again. Would you pray with me? O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Help us to keep a holy advent. Meet with us each day and mold us to be the people you would have us be. Help us to keep awake as we wait and watch and work. For your glory, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.